Hey everybody, this is the Machination Log for August 9th, 2016. Across from me in cyberspace, I've got Alicia back in the building. Alicia, how are you doing? I'm alright. Alright. <laughs> um, we are here for the Procession of Systems, Chapter 3. Uh, last week, last two weeks, we were supposed to be doing the bag and chip scheme, as always. That uh, it got a little preempted by a couple of things in uh, both of our lives, which we may get into, we may not. But one way or the other, we'll at least review that. And for this week, at least partially because... It's my system, so I feel a little more partial to it than uh, maybe someone else's. I intend to, I intend to drag this out for another two weeks, and we'll get out. We'll get into that. But uh, Alicia, first thoughts on the bag and chip scheme as it stands? Um, well, I did like it. I separated uh, the pieces of each list into critical and optional, so it's set up such that breaks in the day are where you do your review or switch over to a different set of tasks, right? And um, I've broken the tasks in each segment into critical and optional. That was the big change I made. Uh, my first thoughts were it was hard to initiate. It took me about a week to get around to it, because, partly because it requires uh, me at some point to go back and review all of the big things that I want to get done, which is always a horrifying proposition. Sure. No, there's uh, some setup time with this one. You need to kind because you have to establish the bags. I guess for those listening at home who didn't hear my ramble about it last time, basically the bag and chip scheme, the core of it is that everybody has a bunch of long-term goals that they want, or they, they should have long-term goals that they want to accomplish, uh, hopefully not all materialistic in nature, but, you know, losing weight or learning a language or two generic ones that you could throw onto a list of bags or getting promoted, anything like this. And then every day, in order to achieve those goals, the point of this is to have some sort of stick with you get a chip out of that bag and you do whatever that chip is. You pick a finite, definable thing that you can do to achieve something about that goal. And you pick the most minute atomic thing that you can just work at. And if you get more done during a given day on any one of those bags, uh, if you eat that chip and you go on to the next ones, that's fine. But you at least get something done. Um, and that's kind of, that's the attempt at stickiness that this has, is that it it makes sure that the goals don't get ignored. Um, and then there's yeah. rituals around it, but we have diverged quite a bit on that, and we'll discuss that individually. But that's sort of what the bag and chip scheme is about. The main thing I accomplished was I got a lot of my Christmas knitting done, because that was actually the easiest thing to divide into... Uh, to divide into chips from my bags yeah. was Christmas knitting goals. And now my elbows hurt and my fingers hurt, but I got a lot of it finished. <laughs> Spent a little bit of energy on that. Um, yeah. Alicia, do not be charitable, please. This is for the purpose of evaluation. Out of five, what is the initial scheme? Ooh, that is tough because I did like a lot about it and it did, um, the, for the two days that I actually did it, I was flying high because I, uh, got a lot of moments to review what had happened during the day. Um, I think overall I would give it a four huh? out of five. I thought the difficulty in initializing it or setting it up is probably... Uh, the only thing that would drop it down by one. It's not easy to just pick up on a day that you can do it uh, before you set it up. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, I don't know that I would rate it that highly personally, <laughs> I, I, at least in its initial formulation. I mean, I've been I've been screwing around with it. Um, in my initial version of it, I had a morning ritual. Then you do the chips because I, I don't know that there's actual science to support this, but there's certainly subjective experience on my side to support this i get all my best work done first thing in the morning so the the sooner i can work on stuff that actually matters the better because as soon as i break everything falls apart so i try to i do a morning ritual that is as specifically therapeutic as possible it's just it's a workout it's a shower i write down passing thoughts and i meditate and then i get to work 
as fast as I can while not with without just waking up and trying to do something because that causes its own problems. Um, and then from there, the day gets a little more meandery. You go into the nighttime ritual or the evening ritual and then the nighttime ritual and the fun stuff happens then. Um, I broke it down a little more though. I added an extra section, um, right after the, <laughs> right after the chips. And this is, this is the part that you said you were going to have a problem with is there's probably too much structure for the way that your days are built. Um, yeah. I put in a section called checkboxes, which, um, goes between chips and the evening ritual. So you get all the stuff for the long-term goals that actually matter out of the way. And then when that's out of the way, the checkboxes is all the stuff that I was going to, that I used to put in the pasture. The pasture is where you're supposed to put what you do when the work's done, when you're supposed to be having a good time. It's stuff that is fulfilling in a more short-term sense. Um, knitting, playing video games, that kind of stuff. Although I guess knitting in your case has a perfectly valuable social function as, yeah. as Christmas presents. <laughs> but the checkboxes is what it sounds like. It's just stuff that you need to get done that's not terribly important. Like it's not, it's not going to be existentially criminal for you to not get it done, but it needs to get done. I have stuff on this, like I need to send in for my absentee ballot. That's a checkbox item I need to do. I need to stand my scaffold back up because the hurricane, we'll get to the hurricane, but uh, I, need, I need to stand that thing back up. So I added an extra section. So now I have, what, one, two, three, four, five, six total segments to my day. And I'm surprised at how how okay that's been for me. Cause I'm usually terrible about this. Six might actually be easier than four, because then I can break things up into appropriately sized chunks and then have an alarm go off whenever it, uh, I'm supposed to be flipping over. Ooh, I have not done that. I have not, I do a little bit of timing. I give myself uh 45 minutes for each of the, uh, for each of the chips just to make sure that I am giving a meaningful amount of time to them. But I don't actually, I I've tried not to have a specific time for any of them. I may experiment with that though. I haven't tried it. How has socializing been for you on the system? Um, better than I expected. If only because it, it tends to naturally stop at about 5 PM. And I have a specific item in my evening ritual, my evening ritual, uh, as opposed to the night ritual. It's the one that, it's the one when I'm supposed to put all the tools away and just, you know, commit to being an actual human being. Um, that list now goes daydream, which used to be called Fantasia. Um, but daydream, the wording is important here because the, the problem with Fantasia is it fell into two categories for me. It either, it either fell into um, most of my thoughts during deliberate time when I'm just supposed to be off in my own head were either egomaniacal or overly sexual. And those are fine for a couple of days, but they get like, they, it, it's not necessarily tedious, but they just, they lose the point of daydreaming. Like they're not that carefree anymore. They, they, be, they become habitual and kind of lame. Um, and then I have eat, which I try not to do until then because eating distracts from other stuff. Um, and then I have draw two recreation cards for my, for my card deck so that I can mix up the activities. And then I have talk to somebody is the last thing on that list to make sure that I, I'm enforcing a social regimen of some kind. Um, I think that's different for me just because of my setup with people always coming in and out of my house. Yeah. Your house is much more populated than mine. Yeah, especially right now because I, I have temporary roommates until November. And um, in addition to that, I have uh, boyfriends who uh, come in and out on a schedule. Yeah. They, they require a lot of attention. <laughs> I've, I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, no, you've got, you have more interjection. I mean, you have more interjection in general, it seems like, than I do in my day. I have teleconferences occasionally, but for the most part, my work, my work is relatively freelance in a way. I mean, there are stretches where I have to work for 20 to 60 hours in a row, and that sucks because uh, that ruins everything for a little while. But the rest of the time, I, I have quite a bit of leniency in my schedule, both socially and productively. Yeah, I absolutely don't have that 
especially because during regular working hours, I have to be available to answer questions from clients and contractors and whoever. Sure. So there's a lot of, um, it's, it's actually hard to, one of the reasons I like waking up early, um, or working with people in California is that, uh, there's some time that I can actually just get my work done before all of the interference from people. Basically, once I have a meeting, I feel much more useless for the rest of the day. It just throws me off to be that much around people. No, no question. I mean, that's, that's why I like getting up early. Um, yeah. And I've done a terrible job of that recently because I'm in, in the bipolar cycle. I'm in my depressive trough now, so I'm sleeping more than I should. It's the reason there aren't more podcasts up because they feel less useful now than they were before. Like I don't, I don't feel like expressing anything to the world. So I just don't. Um, and the only podcast you're probably going to get are the ones that I do with other people. Um, so I mean, yeah. not that anyone wants to hear from me theoretically, but, uh, it's, it's one of those things where I'm just, I'm, that's the part of the cycle I'm in. Um, I think the introverse episodes are actually my favorite. Well, I have bad news. They take the longest to produce, and <laughs> I'm in the least mood to do the least mood. I'm in the worst mood right now to write one, unfortunately. And believe me, that, that I, they are fulfilling to have on the page. It is nice to have 20 minutes of well-crafted monologue up on the website on a regular basis, but it is, it is, shoveling, it is shoveling dirt up a hill. That's not an expression, but you get the idea right now. Yeah. It's just not, it's not fun. On that topic, I wonder how much I could break up the major things I want to do into 45 minute segments. Because uh, as you know, I do tend to get fully involved in one thing for extended periods of time. So this week it has been doing the Christmas knitting. I got, I got a lot accomplished on the Christmas knitting front. Um, I'm taking on my most gruesome project, which is an afghan that I've been trying to make for Ian for over a year. And it's just a, it's just a cursed project. It's just a doom project. I hate the yarn I chose. Everything I make out of it is hideous. I can't for the life of me figure out how to get it to work. So hopefully that's going to break me out of my knitting uh, cycle. And I'll be able to start doing other stuff. See, this is this is where this is the hidden strength of bipolar um, instability comes in. I just threw away my cello project recently. Yeah. Like I just I threw all of it in the trash, nice. and it feels great. It's something I could not do during a manic. It's not. It's something I could not have done in any other phase. It is only in the phase where I feel like just pushing away from everything. It's actually, it, it, this is one of the first time, I mean, I've, I've always kind of seen the utility of going up and down this way, even, as, even though it's disruptive and inexorable in kind of an aggravating way too. There is a benefit to, there is a benefit to be harnessed there. Um, I don't know if you, I mean, I, I know you run into not necessarily cycles, but you do go up and down that way over yeah. probably longer periods of time. Most people do. Yeah. Um. I don't know how much longer the periods are because you remember early this year, like around uh, February and April, I was like really up, right? Yeah. I was like getting a lot done and we were, we were kind of rolling. My, my dream is that we get on opposite cycles. So when you're depressed, I'm manic. And <laughs> when I'm manic, you're depressed because then we can tug just a keep war all, on each other. Yeah. We can just keep all of our stuff rolling. Instead of having to be more... Um, Just pass the baton on the way up or the way down. Yeah, because there have been times where we've been kind of synced up, which is a catastrophe. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think we just get too excited and then we both get depressed and like neither person can be like, no, 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 hang on, yeah. hang on. You're going a little too far down this road. But I do remember like um, maybe a month ago, maybe a little less than that, you were saying that you weren't quite depressed enough to be able to cut stuff out of your life. That is over. I am fully <laughs> in that mode right now. I've thrown, I've discarded so many things. 
I got I consolidated an entire shelf of board games. My book collection now actually fits on my I think I have like three linear feet of bookshelf space. Like it is pared down right now. I feel like I could live in I feel like I could live in a class ARV and it would be spacious. Like I could do it. I could go nomad right now. I could do it. That's amazing. What about your woodworking gear? That's the main excitement for me about your house is that you have woodworking stuff. I haven't I haven't done anything with it. I don't expect to until I'm out of this. That's the kind of creative project that falls by the wayside. Yeah. Totally. I haven't I haven't been able to do anything that requires a that's challenging to me in any way besides work. Work has been it challenging enough and this does really help with that because I did have one day where I left work at around 5 and that was incredible. I I did a review, I figured out what I had to do the next day and I was like, okay, I'm done with work now and then I just enjoyed myself, which was amazing. That's the holy grail of this of this scheme and frankly any scheme to me is the ability to actually segment my life enough to enjoy myself on occasion. Yeah. Cuz that's a nightmare most of the time. Like, it's just, and it is, uh, like, the couple of times I, I'm doing a calendar right now following uh, Matt Smeda. You want to hear what that scheme's all about? That's the Sage Wondering podcasts at machinationlog.com. But the, um, no, he he's doing a calendar scheme where he's trying to do his stick with itness with some social obligations, uh, where he's basically doing a raffle to the people who like a calendar he puts out every day, uh, whether uh, his current scheme is to read 45 minutes every day. Um mm-hmm. Which is a, you know, it's a basic, simple little thing. He just wants to get done. So every day he records whether or not he succeeded. And if he fails, he gives whoever, he gives some random person who liked his post from the day prior uh, five bucks or ten bucks. It's a progressive thing. Every time he fails, he has to pay more money. Um, And it's actually cool. Uh, At least one of his friends already tagged along with this scheme is already doing it. And I guess it is technically two if I am his friend. Because I'm doing that now with this one, um, yeah. and I've I've fallen off already. I already owe Matt 15 bucks for this month, so it's not going great. But <laughs> but when this works, I feel like I actually got stuff done enough to feel satisfied with the work I'm doing, um, and that's rare for me. Because yeah. as soon as I can, even even if I have everything written down, the fact that there's stuff on the list still means that I can't feel satiated. Like, I I have to keep working, and that sucks. Yeah, well, I think that's what's nice about not having work tasks on this list, like day-to-day work tasks. Those are on my regular work calendar scheme. So even if I don't get through all of those in a day, which I never do because (laughs) my eyes are way bigger than my stomach... Um, I can still be like, okay, well, this time period is complete and I'm going to call it a day now. But that does get thrown off by things like hurricanes. Yes, it does. Yeah, no, that and I mean, the hurricane actually was less of a problem than, uh, than the job I had. I had to stay up for about 40 hours on Wednesday. Oh, actually, no, it dovetailed directly into it. The worst thing about the hurricane was that it dovetailed directly into from or from a job. So I was I had been up for like 40 hours and then I had fallen asleep and I woke up to the sound of wind outside and it occurred to me that I had done exactly no preparation for this potential like natural calamity that was bearing down on us, which thankfully wasn't that big a deal. Um but could have been a big deal. Uh, so I semi bleary eyed on about 40 minutes of sleep. I needed to throw down the storm shutters and cut my hedges. And I didn't actually end up boarding up a window, which is fine now in retrospect, because the storm wasn't that bad, but it could have been really bad if I had not actually done that. Um, but when that happens, you have to have a way to get back on track. Like you can't, the system can't just be discarded. You have to, you have to be able to get back into it. And for some reason, a lot of systems fail this, and I'm not entirely sure why. Like, when you just fall off them, getting back into the groove of them just sucks. And I'll, 
I'll admit that the fact that I made this system makes it a little easier for me to get back into it because it's just tailored for me. But I was surprised how easily, despite how structured this was, uh, that I was able to actually get back on the horse with it. Yeah, I had a hard time with that this week because I got food poisoning on Thursday night. So I basically slept all day Friday and I had to cancel all my meetings and reschedule them for various times. So I was just way too frazzled to get back to, um, to get back on the system. And, um, then yesterday I drank with friends for fun. (laughs) I guess I did that too, technically. (laughs) That made that honestly, I think alcohol is the most disruptive to all of these systems and schedules and schemes. It certainly screws up mornings. That's for sure. Because you can't keep your sleep schedule. Yep. Sleep's important. Now, um, so, and then also socializing has been a big threat to this system. Um, because my schedule is pretty flexible. I sometimes will go out to lunch or something with somebody when they can come, uh, visit me and go out to lunch. And that takes like, I always plan not to be away from work for more than an hour, but it ends up being more than an hour basically every time. Um, so then by the time I am finishing work, it's like later, it's like seven or eight, uh, because I spent like four daylight hours just like hanging out with somebody. Yeah, that's that's one thing. It's it's actually one of the many reasons why I try to just not eat from when I wake. I mean, I'll I'll eat I'll eat when I wake up immediately, especially if I work out hard enough to justify it. I will I'll eat something, but I try not to eat until the evening ritual. Uh for one thing because when you get food in your system, your body goes, "Okay, nothing matters anymore." Like your body, it, it, the sense of urgency to everything drops when you eat. That's why people who get stressed out eat. Um, it's, it's a perfectly intuitive reflex, uh, but you don't need that when you're trying to focus. Um, so I don't end up having lunch time meets. I deliberately have social time only. And again, we already discussed that to some degree that's impossible for you, but I, I try to deliberately not meet up with people until after at least 3 PM. And I make an effort to meet up with people after three or 5 PM or whenever I'm done with everything for the day. So I, it's not that I don't get any socializing done, to use my mom's favorite mechanical version of what it's like to be a human being. Like, I, I need that interaction because I do go stir-crazy after a while. Um, but I think it's useful to cordon it to a specific time of day. I think that actually helps a lot. And I think lunchtime meetings, at least in my life, they're so disruptive that I don't think they're worth it. I would rather meet people for dinner. Yeah. Maybe I should consider that, but that sounds so much like having a nine to five job that I, I think I might like having a nine to five job. <laughs> I think I buy that. I don't know that I would like being in an office. I think that would be massively stressful, but I, I kind of like just working from sunup to sundown and then letting the rest of it go. Like that's, that's sort of just the way I'm wired. Those are the best times for wandering around and looking at things. And I so much prefer socializing in the day because then I can kind of calm myself down to go to sleep. When I hang out with people and it's nighttime, first of all, we end up drinking a lot of the time, which means that I'm not going to sleep very well. I've, I've tried to just cut that down personally. I just, I just don't drink as much as I used to. I don't think it's worth it anymore. I was doing okay on not drinking and there have been times in my life where I've gone months without drinking and not really noticed that I wasn't drinking. But recently I've been much more tempted to drink and I th- I think it has a lot to do with having roommates and not not that they're drinking and that's making me drink, but just having people around all the time and being around people is so overstimulating for me. Yeah. Uh, that when something else comes up that's emotional or I have some kind of difficulty handling whatever is coming up for me 
or whatever's happening, it is much, much more tempting to drink than it has been historically for my whole life. And um, I think the other difference is that normally when somebody is living with me or staying with me, they're sober because in my, um, many of my friends are sober, sober now or trying to be sober or close to sober. So there's, um, when people are around who aren't sober and, uh, or, or aren't like on this sobriety journey or whatever, then suddenly drinking is an option <laughs> in a way that normally in my life it's not. Are those the kinds of interactions, I guess I'm trying to, without, without this just becoming a, uh, cutting out your loser friends thing, is this a, uh. Is that activity curtailable in a meaningful way without causing other civil strife? Totally, totally. Like hanging out in the daytime. Oh, yeah. No, I guess that, <laughs> that's, that was the thesis here, I guess. <laughs> was that, yeah, lunchtime, you're less inclined to look her up. No, it's, uh, I, can, yeah. I can see the appeal of that. I just, I think it's worth, I think it's worth the sacrifice. Yeah. Then there's, um. I totally lost my train of thought there, but it is always disruptive t for my systems. Like I used to not be able to run them for multiple weeks at a time because there would be a weekend in between and I wouldn't sleep or, um, cause I get kind of carried away with certain friends and all of a sudden it's sunrise and so on and so forth. How often so, does that happen? I'm not that much anymore, but in like when I was still in college, obviously that oh, happened way more okay. often and probably for a couple of years after I was, uh, after I was out of college, which is why I have so many sober friends now, because it was an incredibly destructive, um, derailing environment for all of us. Yeah. No, I'm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I guess I haven't. I don't know that we have your official opinion on here, but we may as well not break the streak. What is your opinion of higher education? Oh my goodness. It depends on the context. Oh, really? Okay. Never mind. That's that's more nuanced than most of our opinions here at the Machination Log. Yeah. No, we're it's all we're all bullshit. college ed yeah, yeah, we're all college educated <laughs> people who think college sucks. So Yeah. I I really enjoyed college because it was the first time that I got to be good at stuff. Like, it was the first time that I started getting good grades and uh, my professors generally respected me or were excited about what I could contribute um, and things like that. So it was the first time I ever got praise in an institutional context uh, okay. where usually I just totally flounder and fail. So I personally enjoyed college a lot. Um, and I think there are also a lot of benefits to a lot of young people getting together and talk about things. And especially now that I haven't been in college, but a lot of my friends have gone back and gotten their, um, master's degrees and things like that. I find that like, there is such a benefit to having a group where you can discuss uh, topics in depth and in detail in regular social life. You can't go into depth on something. And in a lot of the non-college groups that I've participated in, the level of conversation tends to stay very surface level so that it's accessible to everybody. And it would be nice to have a group intellectual environment where you could go deeper. That That is one of those weird things that I always want, because I, and you, you sort of answered the question, it's a matter of accessibility, but the fact that that doesn't exist is so frustrating in so many fields. Like the, the fact that I am tempted to go back to college, even though I, I essentially know that I'm bad at school. Like I'm good. I'm good at the, I'm good at the standardized parts of school. I can rock a test, but everything about the way that school forces you to study everything about lecture, like I am terrible at all of that, but it is the only way that I can get, a, a relatively large swath of information and certification in things that I would potentially want to do. And it's, 
it's almost not even a matter of money. Like I couldn't buy my way into that outside of the university system. And I know the university system is supposed to be our culture surrogate for that. But the problem is the university system has so many other motives that I don't share that it's not useful to me. Yeah, I did have a really good book club once for about a year. And it took us a long time for it to become, I mean, it was a great group of people. There were four of us. We were reading specifically feminist dystopian novels or dystopian novels written by women. And that's a pretty broad focus in many ways, but it was, it got really good, deep conversation. And especially over time, as we read more and more together, we started developing a shared vocabulary and a shared way of talking about what we were, um, what we were reading and what we were thinking about. And that became really valuable. And I've seen that kind of community conversation emerge in, uh, on forums in the old days of the internet before every, all forums were Reddit. Back in the old alt group days. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was occasionally a shared vocabulary and a shared culture that allowed you to have slightly deeper conversations about what was going on. Yeah. Do you think that is actually, do you think that is ultimately lost on the internet? At this point, I don't think it's lost forever because I think the way that we interact with the internet is going to change meaningfully in the next two decades. And depending on the effect of that, um, that could really change the depth of conversation allowable on the internet. So, um, as we try to think about open forums in this culture, that's sorry, our concept of open forums and open conversation is what's informing the structure of Reddit and subreddits and things like that, which limit the depth of conversation that you can have in a certain way, Definitely. because there's always somebody new coming on who isn't willing to go through the, the indoctrination process. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it takes too long. Sometimes yeah. it is not organized enough that you could do it. Um, a lot of times people have passion for participating in the conversation, but not the patience to go through and read the, the rules and the story of the forum. And, and it's practically romanticized to be that token outsider, <laughs> which doesn't <laughs> help. Yeah. So, however, the form, um, so the way that forums list topics, right, or the way that you see topics on a subreddit is uh, temporal, right? That's the main organizing yeah. principle, right? It's a blend of um, timing and um, upvotes and things like that that lead you to what you see first. There's not a difference in what you see based on who you are as a user or where you are in the conversation. So you're only seeing things. So somebody new sees the exact same thing as somebody who has been there for a long time. The only difference is your uh, interpretation and kind of what filters you, uh, what way you choose to look at it. But that's not an intrinsic part of the way those conversations have to be structured. That's almost an artifact of the way we've been doing this for so long and our uh, theory of what open forums are like. Well, and, and Reddit, if we're specifically talking about Reddit, Reddit is very much a forum popularity contest. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, uh, that informs the way that Reddit is built in a way mm -hmm. that, uh, like you said, that it's not, it's not intrinsic to the format. You could, yeah. very much, you could very much get over that. It's going to require a significant amount of machine learning to get over that. And unfortunately, at this point, machine learning isn't doing tailoring so much as homogenizing for the most part. It's finding we're, we're, we're not, we're not at the Holy grail of machine learning. I mean, everyone's familiar with this. Amazon recommends things to you based on other things you've bought. Um, and you'll notice that it doesn't tend to be all that smart about it. It basically just recommends things that are like other things you bought as opposed to say complementary to them. So if you buy, let's say, 
digital camera, they will then recommend other digital cameras to you, which is not helpful at all. But hopefully someday they will actually understand that I might need attachments for that camera or other things that people who buy cameras like to have. And Reddit could very much, with a lot more smarts than it currently uses, it could understand that you already know something about the topic in question, and it could rearrange what's going on based on that. I mean, the the fact that they use upvotes makes that a little complicated. They may have to make that a little more nuanced in some way, but that's not impossible. I mean, you could absolutely restructure it in such a way that you can either get the superficial read or the super deep in the rabbit hole read on any particular topic. And that would be really cool if they could crack that. Yeah, I think there's also a way that you could just have on. So I think another reason that this is like structure is sorry. Another reason this is structured in this way is that it's foreign news and most forums are on Reddit now, but in older forums, almost depending on what kind of user you were, you could get into a different forum. Like there were secret sub forums, uh, depending on how long you'd been there in some places. And, um, based on how well known of a user you were, you got invited into different conversations. Oh yeah. The, the notion of the private forum was yeah. way more popular about 10 years ago than it is now. And it makes sense that you would have one general open conversation and one conversation that's been happening between peers for a very long time. And that those conversations are in different shapes and they explore different topics in different ways. So even without um, this complicated recommendation system, even if what you could access was different depending on what kind of user you were, you could change the quality of conversations. The, the one, think, oh, sorry. As we, just as we move from an internet where you get in through your browser and spend a long time on, or, or you can end up on different websites to something that is structured more like Facebook, right? Facebook is trying to be the portal to the rest of the internet for most people. Yeah. Um, you could potentially have something like Facebook that's intent was genuinely to facilitate conversation that wasn't trying to do the news angle. I mean, Facebook, for what it's worth, their implementation is by no means, I wouldn't even call it good, let alone perfect. But uh, Facebook really is sort of at the bleeding edge of the, of the corporate attempts to do what we're talking about here. Um, yeah. And they're, they're better equipped to do it than anybody because they know who your friends are. And they can assume that to bring the average of your friends topic back up again. I mean, they, they can kind of infer who you are from the people you associate with. And the people that you talk to are going to have a vernacular that they can exploit to some degree. But the problem, of course, being, like you said, it's still – they're still forcing the news for the most part to be the angle by which these things get introduced. And news is a popularity contest again. So it doesn't quite solve the problem. It gets more eyeballs, obviously, and that's what Facebook needs. But it doesn't really solve it doesn't really solve the problem. And of course, the question, inevitably, like everything on the internet and Twitter, is running into this now, despite being a massive conglomerate. Frankly, uh, is how do you sustain that? I mean, server costs are cheap now, but you still have to run servers <laughs> and paying for this kind of stuff. I mean, it's not a public good just yet. So if anybody wants to figure this out, it has to be altruistic. I mean, that's the benefit Wikipedia has always had is that it seems like a good enough cause that it can be externally funded without actually being a profitable thing. Um, and I mean, does it suck that capitalism has to enter into our discourse here? Yes, <laughs> but someone has to pay for it. So... Yeah, I mean, that is also defining the, the structure of the cultural and technological landscape that we're using to access ideas. So I don't think it's irrelevant or that it, it poisons the topic to talk about it. Well, it's, it's a necessity. We have to talk about it because if that piece doesn't stay there, 
you don't have the stability necessary to keep that stuff going to make sure that it flourishes. I mean, you don't because I mean the the thing that gets annoying about those secret forums. I mean, I was I was part of a couple of communities like that. Is that they are they're fickle. <laughs> they are at the whim of like one or two people that they exist in the first place. And the the one the ultimate one that I was I guess uh, I was trying to get to this point, and I don't actually. Hopefully, this isn't deja vu, and I already covered this. Is that the idea of the secret forum? as the idea of the gatekeeper behind it. And yeah. people really don't like that anymore. Yeah. People are not a fan of that kind of negative curation. Yeah, I think when you have it so that it's accessible to anybody, anybody can sign up to participate in it, but you participate in it in cohorts where you go through the topic area or whatever in groups. So you sign up to participate in this conversation. You say, I have, um, I'm going to spend three months in this conversation and whoever is interested is in a cohort with you and you all go through it together. And then you kind of graduate into the, uh, secret forums or whatever, <laughs> then it's still accessible. It's, it's just a question of how much commitment you can put in, um, versus how, smart you are or how cool you are or yeah. whatever other well that yeah celebrity status wins over everything immediately and that sucks but um yeah <laughs> I, I like this i like this idea of a cohort forum though i think that's i think that's an entertaining way to go about it yeah well i've seen it for different projects right um like for homestuck there's a fan project called academic stuck which i signed up for but did not participate in and um, that was sort of arranged like that. I think it would be great to have it set up in courses or on Coursera courses. You can look at the forums for past courses sometimes with past topics. And it's interesting how people who were in different cohorts of the same Coursera class have kind of slightly different perspectives. Uh, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't done enough online tutoring type stuff. I, I know that stuff exists. I just, I haven't interacted with it. So I have completed two classes huh? on Coursera, which I think puts me ahead of probably most people. Yeah. Uh, who, for sure. It, who've tried. <laughs> I'm very proud of it. It's on my LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> I got through one supply chain management course and, uh, started oh, about you, six you, other things. You did the MIT class. Yeah. Yeah. I did the first one. I didn't, I didn't get like their certification or anything, but I did all the homework and stuff. That's a good class. I've heard. Um, but the, so the internet to return to Facebook as a way of interacting with ideas or bringing ideas together or bringing people together to have conversations. I think the level of conversation you have tends to be very shallow. And what it knows is that you're interested in these shallow conversations. So it, what it shows you is all of the stuff that you wish you didn't want to click on. Yeah. Like all of the stuff you wish you didn't want to read. Um, and it's horrible. It's not a good way to learn about the world or about your friends even. Or anybody's experience. No one's... Like, you remember um, a couple months ago, right after the Democratic primaries, the disgusting, like, horrible, drawn-out arguments I got into with people who generally share my political perspective have similar levels of education. Yeah. I mean, this, this election cycle was pretty ugly regardless. But, yeah, no, it brings that out because everybody likes a train wreck. Yeah. And it wasn't a good way to have any of those conversations because it does still feel like a social space, not an academic space. So you feel like you're doing something really wanky and, uh, Oh, you got to score points. <laughs> you got to, oh, you yeah. got to, you got to win. You got to win at the end of every round. No, I, I've, I, I limit myself to one, one screed a month on a social media site because it's just not, it's, it's not worth the time and effort. I'll I'll do the I'll do the bit of daydreaming of uh, bloviating in the mirror about my uh, my polemical position on something, but that's not that's not worth broadcasting to the world because it's almost <laughs> always 
it's almost always completely calorie empty at the end of the day. I mean, anybody who wants to understand what I'm saying doesn't need me to say it because they already kind of know that's my position and anybody who's going to take it uncharitably, it's not going to read what I'm saying. So it's just, it's therapy, but it is the emptiest therapy imaginable. Um, I've actually had really productive conversations in that way. Not so much on Facebook. I don't know if I've ever had a productive conversation on Facebook in uh, the social side of Facebook. On Facebook pages, I where there's a specific conversation, there are all kinds of private groups for uh, queers and so on and so forth that I'm involved in. I've seen and participated in a couple of good conversations on those where uh, somebody's perspective was changed during the conversation. Then in other public places, like on Reddit, I've also participated in a couple of conversations where I have changed somebody's mind, I think, successfully. Only think- briefly, obviously, people go back to their own cultural, social, intellectual environments and forget what changed. Do you think uh, that has something to do with the anonymity factor? Uh, I don't know. I figured that a lot of it was that I was in a space that wasn't so social. Like It's a marked as a place to have this conversation. And I, I had imagined that that was what made these conversations more effective. Um, I my, mean, that definitely has to play a role. It's just, I, I'm just curious if you think the fact that these people don't know you personally the same way makes a difference. I mean, the fact that they're purpose built, the pages in particular, because it's still on Facebook, it's just, it's an issue driven thing. Obviously, that's going to. That's going to matter. The people who are on their care more directly about what you're talking about. But do you think the disconnect helps or hurts? I think it's hard to separate that from it being marked as a public conversation space. Okay. I did in my undergraduate thesis look at different types of anonymity, um, like pseudonymous or whatever versus anonymous versus like having your full actual name. And I tried to do some language analysis of how the way people spoke was different in those different environments. And I did kind of surreptitiously connect that to anonymity by using anonymity as the way of describing the type of space. Um, But I think it's very hard to pull apart because I think that is a part of what creates the platform. Do you, uh, was there, was there anything, uh, remarkable in the findings in this, uh, in this research paper? About my thesis? Yeah. No. Nothing, is nothing exciting. Is there anything good in my thesis? No, it was a piece of shit. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. <laughs> and it was good. It was a, it was a, what I was trying to do was mostly a, a methods kind of development, um, for studying online communities. Um, and in that way it was pretty successful, but I had a hard time because it was not really something that I think there was one person on my thesis committee who had done any work in that area before. So it was really difficult to communicate what I was trying to do and what I was interested in. So the, uh, the actual research and analysis wasn't that interesting. <laughs> uh, I did run into some fun problems, like how do you code for sarcasm when you're doing a language analysis? The, I, that's is, th- that requires that's a doctoral dissertation by itself that someone needs to be doing right now because we need we need some algos in place for sarcasm. I'm pretty sure you could because every if you imagine that almost all of what's being communicated is being communicated in language, uh, like in writing on the internet, there's probably a way to figure out what marks sarcasm from other parts of, but I don't know, maybe it is. Let's hope so. (laughs) Cause it's it's continuing to ruin relationships around the globe. So (laughs) Uh, 
No, it was, it was funny you mentioned that you're uh that you couldn't you couldn't get any of your profs to to see eye to eye with your I uh I'm doing a panel at uh, Midwest Fur Fest. Feel free to uh, come out for those shenanigans in Chicago in December. But the um, I'm doing a panel called Zen and the Art of Fursuiting, which I picked in a daze on the final day of submission, um, which I think will be a good panel. And the worst thing that will happen is that no one will show up and I'll just get to lounge around in a room for an hour. So this is a win-win no matter what. But the guy... Uh, the guy in charge of the particular set of panels that I got attached to, which is like spirituality, mental health, and some other thing, um, like the guy who's coordinating those panels just sent me an email asking me to elaborate on my description of what the hell I'm going to do, which sucks because I don't know what I'm going to do, and I don't think he'll accept that as an answer, so i got to figure out what I'm actually going to talk about. Oh, what was your what was your image? What was the vision that you had when you oh, I can chose see if, that topic? Let me see if I can pull up the description of it. And we're back. All right, the description that I fed into the submission box was: What does a philosophy novel about the metaphysics of quality have to do with fursuiting? We're here to find out. Knowledge of Piercing's work not required or honestly even recommended. <laughs> So, uh, it's, I'll admit it's a little open-ended, um, but the thing is I want, I want that vagary to it because I think the way that it is going to proceed as a panel is going to be, I don't think shenaniganous is a word, but, uh, that's the one I'm going to use. Like, I, I think it's going to be free association for an hour while holding Piercing's <laughs> book in my hand. I think there is a really relevant connection, and I don't know because I'm pretty sure I read mostly the first two pages of it. Um, that you you fall into one of the two categories of people who have read <laughs> Piercing's book. Then you either you either did not finish it, or you are obsessed about it in such a way that you're insufferable to hear talk about it. Everyone falls into one of these two camps. Um, it's there's a reason it's like the most not celebrated, but certainly most talked about philosophy book of our generation, not our generation, of the last century probably, is that it's... That, oh yeah, That's a severe overstatement, surely. Check the bestseller lists. This okay. book has sold a lot of copies. <laughs> it is all... It is impossible to have a cogent conversation about it. Like, the number of things people have pulled out of this book is ridiculous. It should be... I, I will have no problem filling an hour talking about it. But here's the what's relevant about it is that you have to do something unusual in the conditions of late capitalism, right? Something that's not really quite socially acceptable. And in order to do that, you have to get to another tier of comfort with yourself and comfort with society than most people ever have to. Oh, I, and again, I think there. I think I will be able to tie this incredibly loose daydream day days association together i think this will be a good panel i was tempted to just do the panels i did last year but i i overcame that fear at the last minute when i realized i hadn't submitted anything so what did you do last year last year i did three panels i did a panel on making your second fursuit because everybody does panels on how to make your first one and i think making your second one comes with its own challenges that the first does not like deciding because now you kind of know how to make them and you want to do something more ambitious, but you also want to, you, you have to decide whether or not you're going to change who you are in some meaningful way. And if you're not going to change who you are, how do you improve on it while keeping this? Like there's a lot to talk about in that. Um, yeah. So that just, that became a little, a little convene of like 20 people. And when people had, problems i just hook them up in groups of like three it's like someone needs to think about this you guys go in this corner you got because i'm not an authority on any of this i hadn't built my second fursuit at the time the panel was for me <laughs> to get people together so that we could all talk about it and to solve your problem yeah exactly well and not to solve my problem it was more communal than that but yeah. um no it was a good panel and then we had um we had fur in the wider world which was a generic panel about um about the way that furs interact with the world outside. And that one I had a little more experience with. I also had Rex, who's a retired engineer who found out he was a furry at like 53. So he has a yeah. really eccentric 
look on it, and that was fun. And then the other one was Dumb Questions, which was the most likely one to get repeated, uh, which was just flash polling of the people in the room on random questions that I came up with. Um, basically, they were all yes or no questions, and people either raised their hand or didn't. And the results for that, if you're interested, are on the Machination Log website. Um, if you type dumb questions into the search, you'll find those. Oh, I do remember that one, actually, because Thomas was there, right? Or Yeah, Thomas was there. Yeah. I don't think he was there for the actual questioning, but we have a, we have a podcast with him on there. No, it was fun last year, and it will be fun this year. Uh, between a panel about free associating, about a philosophy book, and um, whatever I come up with on the art show which I uh, am frantically trying to prepare for with no professional instruction because I don't know how to paint. Um, but you have to paint? I thought you could sculpt. Um, I bought a wall panel. I didn't buy a table. So it's got to be 2D art. And that's fine. I'll survive. I, I think I can do it. But I, I have to actually practice it. And thankfully, the bag and chip scheme to round this back around from this magical tangent um, <laughs> will help me do that. Just painting a little bit every day. So can you describe some of the modifications you've made? I don't think we've gotten to that yet. And oh. I only have 10 more minutes. Oh, as far as, yeah, no, we were, we're running short on time. Um, as far as modifications to the system go, I had these all written down and then I uh, think I threw away the note. So I'm oh. not... So, I mean, the most important one I made was the checkboxes thing. Uh, the checkboxes is an important part to have that separates the obligatory from the aspirational. Like, they're all things, they're long-term and short-term goals that I don't want to have, like, poison my fun time at the end of the day. But there's stuff that I got to get done in the short term, stuff I got to get done in the long term. And I don't want those intermingling. Because when you switch between tasks too fast, you get frazzled. And the long-term stuff falls out the middle there, and that's no good. So I separated those two, and I'll put I'll put a slightly more, unlike last time, I'll put a slightly more comprehensive look at a snapshot, if you will, of what mine looks like and what Alicia's looks like at the uh, on the website, so that everybody can see it. Um, but as far as the rest of it goes, it's pretty. It's more or less like what it was before. Um, and again, if you want to, if you want to see. Um, I mean, I've rearranged a couple of items on the list, but I, that's that's salad dressing. That's not necessarily particular particular stuff. Um, yeah, I wish I had a more satisfying answer than that. But <laughs> the checkboxes <laughs> really is the checkboxes really. I'm oh, I mean, I guess the the bags with the chips. I ran into a couple of instances where I thought I had an atomic enough chip that I could actually get it done, I could get it munched. I like this metaphor, but oh um, I didn't. So what's the 45 minute rule, which I may, I may turn into a shorter amount of time, but 45 minutes is just the one I started with. If I get to the end of 45 minutes and I haven't, if I haven't dealt with that chip, I immediately try to break that chip down more to get something done because you can always get something done. You just have to figure out what it is. And if you can't, something is weird and screwed up and you got to figure that out. But the key of most, uh, the key of most of the system, because it doesn't fill itself out for you because you have to do the thinking is that it is about review. I mean, this, the way that I have this ritual set up, there are two different points and technically three during my day when I'm doing some form of reflection. When uh, in the morning I have the passing thoughts journal which is where you just get rid of the things that are stuck in your head that are going to torture you the rest of the day. And then in the afternoon, I have the daydream section where I can, but I don't normally jot down random thoughts that are deliberately off the track of normal human conversation. And then at nighttime, I do a blow-by-blow -blow journal uh, to cap it all off, which are all basically bullet points of what I got done during the day or didn't get done during the day and why. Um, yeah, I actually have something really similar. I have morning pages, which is three long, giant pages every morning. Then at the end of the workday, I have to review my tasks and review, like just doing an analysis of how I did at work. 
and what I can improve on. And then before I go to bed or before I go to sleep, I set up my tasks for the next day and do the basically a daily version of that review that includes personal things and also what I did. Okay, so we basically see it eyed on eye to eye on that. The only the only modulus to that is that I make the chips for the bags after after at the very end of the morning ritual, right after I meditate, so that my brain is in the most stable state when I'm deciding what I need to work on. That's that's the only difference, though. So we we seem to basically agree on the journaling thing. Well, I have been doing chips at the end of the workday, but not methodically. I'm I'm not saying one way or the other is better. I don't have enough data yet, but it's worked okay for me doing it right in the morning, right before I do them. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I can't plan the next day until I've seen what I fucked up on this day. Oh, no doubt. I mean, that, that would be a mistake. Uh, planning your day before you figure out what did and did not work, would that would definitely be a screw-up. When I wake up, I'm too optimistic. It needs to be at the end of the day when I'm beaten down and tired. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, so okay. That- I see your logic. Okay, that, okay. <laughs> I see where you're coming from with that. <laughs> Although that's weird, actually, because I'm normally the most optimistic at night. Normally, I am the most go gettingist right before I go to sleep. No, I think it's right after I finish the morning pages. Because I usually realize something important and I feel uplifted and I've seen all of the beauty in life and uh, I understand my place in the world. And that's, I just feel quite unstoppable in that moment. And then I try to do something and it kind of slowly fades throughout the day. <laughs> well, that's horrible. <laughs> It's That's actually no great because then I can sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a plus. Yeah, I uh, mean that was some dark humor. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, Mental illness jokes. Yeah, and as far as as far as just general scheme things to wrap up my side of this, uh, the only. The, the only real modification that I've made to any of the details of this is I only I used to draw two workout cards. I only do one now because I've started taking jujitsu classes, which nice. there will probably be a podcast on with a couple of other people who are into jujitsu around here. But uh, it's just a, it's a nice way to vary my workout and to run into another group of, if not like-minded human beings at least human beings to interact with so it's got that going for it they opened a gym recently so and i can bike there on monday and tuesday mornings and it gets me up in the morning because the class is at 6 30 so uh that's uh that has been a net positive so far but i'm not i'm not going to talk anymore about that until there's something meaningful to say alicia you got anything else you want to cover before you got to go no i am done i might join um the rock climbing gym now because you've inspired me. They have early morning yoga, so maybe I could try to do. You should do that. Yeah. You should do that. I I I was I, I couldn't possibly do a gym like that. Doesn't that's not appealing to me at all. But having actual cooperative slash competitive aspects to a workout is absolutely something I can get behind. Totally. But no, this place is great because it's a free. It's a bouldering gym. Oh so yeah, no, climb, I've, yeah. No, those are those are those are a lot of fun. Actually, I guess in in the event that any of the listeners have not been to one of those, what's the one you're at like? Oh, so they have these essentially puzzles set up for you to climb without ropes, and they're at different degrees of difficulty. Um, it's nice. It's a nice combination of mental and physical for me. I can't, I can't do the physical side worth a damn. But the mental stuff keeps me interested long enough to keep trying, which is great. Um, It's good for grip strength. I wouldn't mind building some upper body strength. And um, it seems very relaxing so far. Yeah, I've only only been to... There's one about an hour north of where I'm at that I actually ought to go back to soon. But uh, That's right. It's in an abandoned borders, (laughs) which makes it extra exciting. Do they just staple books to the wall? Do <laughs> you have to climb up? Yeah. Oh god, that would that would be even more challenging. Yeah, that would be that would be nigh on impossible. 
unless you got to the hardcover section or something. Yeah. But I do think I can do the yoga, even if I can't do the climbing. Yeah. Hey, you'll work your way up to it. That's theoretically why they have a whole thing. Yeah. So. All right, Alicia, I will seed you the rest of your day. You got stuff to do. I got stuff to do. And uh, hopefully it will get done. And we'll <laughs> let everybody know in two weeks whether or not it does. So. Oh, and switching to Trello. That's our other. Oh, yeah. No, we switched over to Trello. I was just using the stuff that comes natively on the Mac because it was the easiest, most straightforward thing to do. It was the most basic. But Trello, Trello fits pretty well for this scheme. So I'm going to try it out for two weeks. Yes. I literally started using it an hour ago, so let's say, uh, but uh, I'll start using it in an hour. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Alicia, pleasure as always. Thanks for being part of the Machination Log. Good morning, everyone.